We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have like a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. The Indiana Pacers. Reggie from the wing. to the big fella, fake shoots, and hits! Ten seconds to play. Seven. Here's a three by Oladipo. Oh, he hit it! Victor Oladipo from three-point range! 18.7 seconds left. Miller for three, and he got it. Reggie Miller with a clutch tray and a steal. Miller retreats to the three-point line. Hey everybody, what's going on? Welcome to Setting the Pace here with Alex Golden, Tyler Smith, and Mike Focci. We're here to talk all things Indiana Pacers on today's episode, but unfortunately, Mike and Tyler are not here. So, have no fear guys, it's not just me. I know you guys could probably care less if it was just me. So, I brought on a guest that knows all things Pacers. My man Tony Ease from Locked On Pacers is going to be here to recap the preseason. And we might jump into... A little bit of other Pacer news, but as far as it goes, I think we're pretty much just going to be previewing, or not previewing, but reviewing the the preseason, and um, other than that, let's get this thing going. All right, everybody, what's up? How y'all doing? Tony East is on the line right now. We're here to review and recap the Pacers preseason. Tony, what's going on, man? Uh, Not much. I'm excited the preseason is over because it is demanding watching games that do not matter at all. <laughs> yes, it's very demanding. You know what? It's it's kind of exciting at the same time because in the preseason we get to see players that we're not used to seeing. And one of those players that we saw this, this season for the Pacers in the preseason, Edmund Sumner. I think it would be a shame if we didn't start out talking about the guy that took Pacers Twitter by, uh, by storm. Edmund Sumner. So what do you like and what do you see from Edmund Sumner in this preseason? You know, um, a good a thing for me when I like scout guys out of college is that they can create a lot of separation on their defender because if you can't do that, you're not going to make it in the NBA, right? Like if you can't get separation on a college defender, it's not going to work in the NBA. 
meanwhile, in the NBA, guys who get a lot of separation tend to be good scorers in general. Uh, and that is exactly what Sumner showed me that made me so pumped about him from these games is that he could create separation going downhill towards the basket, which is very hard to do. Um, and I didn't realize how long his arms were either. Uh, he's 6'4 and has a really long wingspan, so he showed some defensive flashes too, getting in passing lanes with his arms. Um, and, and again, with that burst, he would just run the other way, take it downhill, and get to the rim. Uh, so he just looked like this slashing, scoring, attacking guard that I didn't even know existed. Like last year, his only basket was a fast-break, wide-open layup in the entire NBA season. And he was not very good in the G League. So it was exciting to see that he had this, like, not elite necessarily, but very good skill that would make him clearly a serviceable rotation player. Uh, and then beyond that, he hit forty percent of his threes, which I need to I need to lay off my efficiency obsession. But I mean, I love that he hit forty percent of his threes. So uh, he, he he took uh, one from the wing, I think, in the Memphis game that made me go, "All right, this guy's this guy's got it all on offense." Not like actually at all, but what right. he needs to have to to be in the NBA on offense. So I, I was very pumped watching him every game. So do you expect him to be on the Pacers fifteen man roster? Uh, well, uh, this is great timing given that they made the moves today. Right. I think because they – for those that are listening and don't know, uh, they waved Omari Johnson and Eli Stewart, uh, both who had long shots to make the team anyway, uh, so no surprises. But they did not waive Ben Moore, um, which I want to say suggests that Moore will get the 15th slot, at least at first, and then they'll be cautious and slow with how they use Sumner's 45 days, and then when if they have to, they'll promote him. But I'm not really sure. Uh I think it makes some sense to do it now just to get him in practices and stuff like that. But at the same time, uh, the 45-day counter for G League players on two-way contracts doesn't start until the G League season starts in November. Mm-hmm. So he still has like three weeks that he'll be with the team full-time. So maybe they're waiting till then. So I think that it will happen eventually, but I don't really know when. Well, how many – I'm not sure, but how many two-way contracts can you have? Two. Your team can have two, and they only have one right now because that Wilcox, C.J. Wilcox, tore his Achilles, and I think it's kind of like a test case for the NBA. They don't really know what kind of money protection like a guy who's out for the season on a two-way gets, so I don't know if they've replaced his spy or anything like that, but uh, he's he's not going to be on the roster. <laughs> is, is Alizé Johnson on a two-way contract? He is not. He's on a, an NBA-guaranteed contract on the end of the bench. Oh, wow, so he is part of the 15-man rotation then. That's interesting. Yes. I did not realize that. I thought he was... On the two-way, I don't know why I thought that, but uh, maybe I just read it wrong. So Edmund Sumner, so let me ask you this. Can they convert Ben Moore into a two-way contract and then put Edmund Sumner fully guaranteed on the roster? They uh, – <laughs> I mean, is that kind of tricky? Yes, and I, I have to do off-the-record talk to do that, and I can't. So I don't <laughs> I don't, I don't think that that will happen. Um, right, right. Well, but they li- they like Ben Moore and and I think Ben Moore is going to to be on the Pacers this year uh, in some capacity, but I don't know what that is. Uh, he it was an effort maven last year in the G League and an efficiency guy, so I think he ends up on the roster in some capacity. Maybe they'll look for an external guy on their last two way slot. I've heard that they'll be looking on the uh, the waiver wire when cuts happen after training camp, which is starting now. So. Maybe they'll pick up someone else to pair with Sumner on a two-way for now, but it, it, it's, it remains to be seen how they plan on handling that. Well, we'll be keeping well, our eyes on that for sure. So let's dive into more of the, the guys that will be in that rotation on a consistent basis. Yes. Of course, Miles Turner is the guy that a lot of people want to hear about. So personally, I think I have seen a much more improved Miles Turner in the preseason compared to last year. How do you feel about Turner after this preseason? 
He played differently than I expected. Um, only, what, like three three-point attempts total, and one was a buzzer beater at the end of the quarter in the, right. uh, the Cavs game, which show I don't think he would have taken that otherwise. So, you know, I think a lot of what the the, the, the hype about him was his unicorn, quote-unquote, status, that he could stretch the floor while defending the rim. And this preseason, it seems like a lot of the times they were using him more in the post, which I enjoyed. Um, especially in that Bulls game, he looked okay scoring in the post. He had a, he had a beautiful up and under. He didn't finish uh, where Robin Lopez just went searching for nothing on a fake, uh, which I really enjoyed. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, the, the no three-point shooting really changes. Not none. I mean, he took three, I think. But, like, I, I feel like that was his this his hallmark was his floor spacing on offense. And maybe he'll be a better post-up player this year with all that, that offseason stuff he's done. And he did show some more post stuff. But I would like to see him, you know – I would have liked to see him work on his assets more than than work on his non-assets right. uh, in terms of skills. So I actually wasn't, like, so stoked about his preseason. I wasn't, like, down on it. Like, it was fine. I mean, he didn't have a positive or negative to me, but there were just things I wanted to see that I didn't see. But I did like I did like his overall post-play, um, and everyone clamors for him to be a rebounder. I mean, he wasn't, like, worse. <laughs> 5.7 a game is fine, so... I'm not going to say one thing, one way or the other on that, if it was better or worse. But uh, he showed some post stuff, which is good. As as far as me with watching, I didn't really look into the numbers as much and the shot attempts. And I do notice, I did notice that he didn't shoot as many threes. But I I did think that he was a little bit more active on the glass. At, le- at least it seemed like he was more energized to get up there and rebound. And I know that that's one of uh, Coach McMillan's emphasis in training camp mm-hmm. this year was to be in a rebounding team. And so I do think that. McMillan is kind of pushing that, and I think that's one of the reasons we saw a little bit more of a energized Turner in that area. As far as you know, the post-up games, that jump hook pretty much seems to be his only go-to move, right? Yeah, he likes he likes the over the the left shoulder uh, jump hook right now. That would appear his thing. The Al Jefferson. Yeah, <laughs> well, we need we need that without Al in there. So one of the one of the the key forwards of the Pacers, Thaddeus Shung, did not play in any game except for last night against the Chicago Bulls, and it was an ugly game from start to finish. You know, there was a little bit of a stretch there in the fourth quarter when the Pacers bench kind of made a nice little comeback, but pretty much they just did not look, you know, engaged. But there were still a couple plays there where it kind of brought me back to the chemistry that I think that Turner and Thaddeus Young have developed playing together. And one thing I noticed a lot in the cast series was Turner was pretty good at finding Thaddeus Young in the post when they were playing uh, playing together down there a lot. And I saw, I think... Uh, uh, somebody reposted on Twitter a, a play where Turner had a nice little dump off to Thad for a dunk. And I think we're down like 70 to 48 at the time, so the score <laughs> looks terrible. But do you think that those two have a chemistry that has developed over the past couple of years and that can be an advantage for the Pacers? For sure. Uh, Turner's not necessarily a plus passer in the post, but his best and clearly his most positive pass is a dump off to Thad. He had that a lot last year too. Uh, I know the exact video you're talking about, uh, Derek, at iPacers had it up. Uh, yeah, they, they ran a nice little handoff set at the top of the key, and then Turner dove into the post on a switch, and they brought a double. And the second the double came over, Thad cut to the rim, and, and Turner had a perfect dump off to him. And I, I, I don't know what Thad does differently than other post guys that Turner just understands it, but but he, he certainly has something there that other post guys don't, and he just can find him right around the basket all the time. And and Thad is, is great at perfectly timing his cut, so that, that, is, that is perfect for Turner's skills. I like their fit together uh, in that way. Yeah, so speaking of fits, you know, T.J. Leaf looked much improved <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, with Thaddeus Young injured. And so 
my biggest takeaway before I let you get into all the analytical, analytical stuff, I just thought TJ Leaf looked out of shape in Summer League. He looked really slow and he looked really tired really quick, but when watching the preseason, he was playing 30-plus minutes in some of these games, and he didn't look tired at all. It looked like he had a re- you know, a revived energy, and I'm like, okay, this is a this is a big improvement from TJ Leaf. So some people here locally have been talking about TJ Leaf. Now, what was your takeaway from TJ Leaf's preseason? Yeah, anecdotally, I 100% agree with the conditioning thing. Um, it, it was funny because the way he was used in summer league, I was frustrated with, but at the same time, I was like, man, he like like you said, he does look tired, like his shot's flat, stuff like that really matters. Um, and I talked about there's how. I thought him would help him a lot on offense. Uh, in the three games he played, he started in all three just because he'll get set up for the best possible chances. Um, but he didn't actually shoot great from three. He hit one out of every three of his attempts, which is fine. But, I mean, I'd like for him to be better there since that was his elite skill last year. But all of a sudden, TJ Leafs like this crazy good rebounder. Like, that came out of completely nowhere to me. Um, he's flying in from everywhere for these putbacks. Uh, and he, he finally has, like, a second offensive skill that he's really good at which to me is just huge for him because now he actually, he has like another role beyond just standing in the corner and spacing the floor that, that can keep him out there, which is huge. He almost matched Sabonis' offensive rebounds per game total. So um, I really did enjoy Leaf on off, on offense. Uh, I think he, he clearly has shown that the game is slowing down for him on defense. Uh, outside of a few decently footworked uh, post-ups, he did not defend very well. Um, but it's still a long way to go for him on that end. But it was better. I mean, he, he had like probably zero or one maybe total good defensive possessions last year. So I, I was I was very encouraged by him because I was very low on him after his rookie year. Yeah, I was low on him when they drafted him. I've never liked <laughs> DJ Leaves, so I'm kind of just sitting here and I'm, you know, I've been hard on the guy. I just I want to see something and I think I saw something in preseason, but I don't know if I saw enough to put him in the 10-man rotation. Yeah, that's tough. Um for me, I think he is the 10th guy right now. I agree yeah. with you there. Um and if Sumner gets called up, I think they would shift it so they have a small ball second unit and Leaf would drop to 11 and Sumner would drop to 10. But that's only if Sumner can actually maintain his play from preseason. That could be nothing. Um, so he's he's right there as the 10th guy. And again, O'Quinn's – I didn't say his name. So I don't know why I said again. Um, but also O'Quinn is right there. Uh, they didn't sign him for nothing. Uh, and he was fine, I guess, in Summer League. And he didn't shoot well, but – uh, he's fine, and he's a really good five-on-five five player. So maybe situationally, it's O'Quinn or Leaf, um, right. or if Sumner gets the call up, it, you know, it's three guys fighting for one spot. But I think right now he's definitely the tenth guy, and I think they are going to put a focus on developing him because they kind of need some youth in the pipeline. Yeah, and I do want to continue talking about these bigs. You brought up O'Quinn, but Ikeani Bogu, he didn't play a lot, but when he did play in Memphis, he did not look good to me at all. Uh, he is probably the worst pick-and-roll screen setter I've ever seen in my life. Uh, I, I don't know why. It just didn't feel like he was getting set. Didn't feel like he was really making much of a difference on those screens. And I, you know, that's when that's why they brought a guy in like Kyle O'Quinn because he is a terrific screen setter, and you could just tell the difference between those two. And I want to get your take on both those big guys right there, what you saw from them in preseason. Yeah, I'll do EK first. I actually loved EK uh, pre-draft. So I, I was, I've was i been driving the train of getting all into him. Um for the last year or so and then that memphis game that you just referenced yes i agree he was awful um two fouls on his first possession in the game which was just awful like 2001 possession has it even happened uh and then and then yeah you're totally right his screens were sorry if my volume just cut a bunch i was taking my shoes off and leaning around um oh, no, that's good. His, his screens were terrible he so his his thing at ucla that made him like look like he had nba skills is like 
in the most lightweight possible Clint Capella on offense. Like he was just play finishing and dunking all over the place. And I think he wants to show that he can do that still. And you could tell he was getting really jittery and excited. And before he'd even make contact on a screen, he would just dive to the basket and look for a pass, which given his skills, that's fine. But like you have to do the little things first. So everything else opens up and it wasn't happening. And that, that really wasn't opening up anything and it made him kind of useless. And then a lot of his shots ended up being these like 15 foot jumpers that, that looked yucky too. So uh, that I did not enjoy. He was a little bit better in the um, the Chicago game. He got two blocks at the end of that one. Uh, and he has kind of been known for his room protection. Um, he's still slow on rotation. So uh, he did not show much though, which is, which is discouraging. I think he'll stick around. I think they want to try to give him some time in the G league, but yeah, not a good look for him uh, to get a lot of NBA time this year. O'Quinn on the other hand was exactly what everybody thought he would be. I think, um, yeah, a great elbow passer. Like, when he's in, I feel like every other set is horns, or they just have him catch it, turn, and face, and find something. Um, he was not scoring very well. He only shot 25%. He, he clunked a few ugly ones. But uh, I, I enjoyed watching him. He's a good five-on-five player because he's smart. In transition, he's kind of useless. But everywhere else, I think he, he's fine. Awesome. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you on those uh, analysis of those players as well. Kylo Quinn, it'll be interesting. They said they brought him in to be the third-string center and to be the Al Jefferson of this team, so we'll see how that works. But I would definitely like to see him get some playing time, of course, situationally. But uh, I guess the last big that we need to talk about is Sabonis. I was about to skip over him, but you know he played really well, I felt like, in preseason. There's still some things he needs to work on. I'd like to see him get a little bit stronger with that right hand. I feel like he's so good with his left that he almost uses it as a crutch too much, but... If he could just really work on that right hand, I feel like that would be a nice addition to his game. But what did you see from Sabonis besides that? He had a little bit of right hand flashes too, which is interesting. I, every he time he would go with, every time he'd go with it, I tried to clip it and watch it again so I could see it. Um, not yeah, again, not enough to like make it obvious he could ever go that way, uh, which is discouraging. Um, but yeah, more than last year by a substantial amount. Uh, yes, yeah, Sabonis was very good. Um, and, and I, I have people uh, in, a, in an NBA group chat I was in saying, you, you know, they, they didn't watch and they, they stat sheet it and say, how is Sabonis looking this good shooting like 40% every game? It's because he misses and just immediately gets the rebound like every possession. It's kind of crazy. Um, he was all over the glass, which was awesome. Double-double in every game except maybe the last one I can't remember. Uh, I unfortunately did not unfortunately. I did not watch the fourth quarter of the Bulls game. I was not ready for that. So I don't know what he ended up with in that one. But, yeah, he was awesome. Um uh, his rim protection was good too, which is nice. Like he, he's getting good at going straight up, and he's got a great incredulous face when they call him for a foul he doesn't deserve, which I love. Um, and I, I just think he played really well inside. You know, they, they're creating a lot with him from the post, which is good. Um, but to beat the Caitlin Cooper drum, they're they're not cutting enough at all or running any off-ball sets. So creating from the post is really hard when you're making him force it with passing. But yeah, Savonis was awesome. He could he was scoring in the post easily. He was running great pick and rolls with with whatever guard they had with him. He was hitting the glass. So I, I think he was probably the most impressive post player in the in the four games. No, I agree with you. He missed that uh, double double against the Bulls by one rebound. So ah. he had thirteen oh, points and nine okay. boards. But okay. yeah, but still, I just I think he's just going to continue to get better. I mean. We are all banging the drum that Turner is going to have a better season this year because of the workout he did in the summer. But, I mean, I think Sabonis is going to have a pretty solid year himself. And, you know, having that guy come off the bench, it is just a huge asset that the Pacers have. And one of the things that I've been really hitting the drum about right now is Tyreek Evans is the quote-unquote favorite to win sixth man of the year if you're picking a representative for the Pacers. But do you think 
that Sabonis might actually be the, the best player off the bench? No. <laughs> no, I think Tyreek. I think – okay, it's I'm going to back different. Up. They're two different positions, uh, right? They, yes, yes. That is exactly it. Um, Sabo- I have to I have to phrase this appropriately. I like that in Sabonis' development, he's focused on getting incredibly good at the things he's already really good at in order to be elite at skills instead of just average at a bunch of things, which means I think as a sub he can dominate other bench units because he has a quote-unquote elite skill on the post. But I think Tyreek is better in more ways and can play more positions in such a way that he will get more time off the bench and will be the first sub most of the time. So I think in the in the in the scope of six men of the year, Tyreek has a better chance. Uh, and I really enjoyed watching Tyreek Evans in the preseason, so I would also pick him if I had to pick a guy on the team. But I understand what you're saying. Like if they do sub, sub like they could end up subbing Sabonis first every game, and like Turner gets in foul trouble a lot, so Sabonis might have to be the first sub a lot. Like he could, in theory, end up playing more minutes off the bench than Tyreek. But I think Tyreek is more likely to get the award. Yeah, no, and I mean it's to me it's a it's an interesting debate. I'm not saying that I'm right at all. I just I really like the way Sabonis has, you know, worked himself into better shape this year. He just looks like he's a guy that can be a contributor. And as far as Tyreek Evans goes, what people say about him from previous spots, I think they hit it spot on. He is, like, he's just a quiet player. Like, the passes that he makes in those those pick and rolls with Sabonis, you know, Lance would be all flashy about it. He's not really flashy at all. They're just solid passes, and I feel like that is going to be one of the most exciting things to watch. Uh, this season so let's get some more takeaways from you about Tyreek Evans his shooting splits were bad and he was still good which to me is very encouraging Um, and yes like you said I thought the most encouraging thing and I think I'm glad that most people recognize this uh, that I follow too um, was that his his pick and roll play with Sabonis was excellent which is going to be you know every time they run a play off the bench if the play you know whatever they run doesn't work then all of a sudden they're just going to dive into this incredibly effective pick and roll which is great um, but Tyreek, yeah, he, he has this quiet, methodical way of, like, he'll take the screen, he'll dribble into the paint, and then, like, he'll look like he's about to shoot, and he'll kind of, like, twitch, and and all of a sudden the defenders collapse, and then he passes it to Sabonis, and they score. Like, he, he just does it at the perfect timing for everything, and, and makes these subtle little movements that make everything happen. And what I like about him is, no matter what the game flow dictates, he plays at his own speed, which sometimes can be bad, but in in the scope of the way he is ball handling so much with the second unit, I think it really helps him because, you know, it catches guys off guard when the speed changes so much, uh, and he's such a threat to score from all over the place. So I really liked watching him, and I liked watching his perimeter defense, which beyond the three-point line, he's a good defender. Inside of it, not so much, uh, which basically means he's a good on-ball defender. But, yeah, I, I liked a lot of things I saw from him despite poor shooting, which I, I think I, I have to, has to improve. Yeah, no, and I think that they said that he came in a little bit out of shape, too, coming into training camp. He did that, had that injury, the ankle injury, for the first couple games. So, uh, was it the first couple games or just the first game? I can't remember. He just missed the first game, but he didn't play huge minutes in any game, really. Right. So, you know, and I think one thing that Pacer fans could be encouraged about as well is the fact that him and Sabonis already have pretty good chemistry, and they've only played a couple, you know, minutes together on the court and as the season goes on they're just going to continue to get better with you know each other feeling each other out for the rest of the season um how many minutes did they play Oladipo and Tyreek together do you have that at all I should but I don't uh I figured you would that's I figured you'd have I know I was ready to watch them too and I, they were like fine together but I, I was never like blown away they played with a lot of a lot of unique units with the two though you know it wasn't like very set which I liked uh, I think that means Nate's not going to be you're not going to be afraid to use Tyreek at multiple positions. But no, I don't have that number in front of me. I don't really think they have. 
I don't think uh, NBA.com has on off for preseason in yet. I can look it up really fast while I'm talking, but I, yeah. I'm in, I'm excited to watch that duo this year. It was a, it was a small sample size if it was much because I don't remember seeing them play much together. Obviously, Oladipo didn't play in the Memphis game, and so it would have just been Chicago and Cleveland they played together. But I don't recall them playing together much. But I'm excited to see that for the season. Now, uh, the last guy that they brought in this year, a new addition, was Doug McDermott. Not not the greatest preseason performance from him. Do you think there's any reason why he got up to kind of a cold start? Uh, they So I like the McDermott signing a lot more than most. I don't like the money, but I like the signing. Uh, every possession he's in, the very first thing they do – not every, but most possessions he's in, the very first thing they do is set a screen where he just flies off of it. And they try to get him a look. And then after that, he just stands around. Um, and that's kind of a product of the sets they have, which was discouraging because the more he moves, the better that second unit could hum. Um, he was not hitting threes. He only hit one of every four, which will not continue. Like, factually, he, he will shoot better than that during the regular season, which I'm not worried about that stuff at all. But I, I do that. Yeah, Kalen, again, was the leader of this was this run. But um, she's absolutely right. They were not moving him enough um, to me at all, which which I thought was discouraging. Um, but I did like the plays they ran to get him shots in the areas that he likes to shoot, the corners and the top of the key. So I think that they're going to continue to do that. I mean, it seems like every five, one of every five possessions he's in the game, they start the possession off with a double screen for him uh, to get a shot at the top of the key. So I think they're using him the right way. It just didn't work. Um, and I'm a big process guy, so I think that they, they that'll, that'll continue and he'll get look better. Yeah, no, and with the point guards, you know, Corey Joseph wasn't in there the last couple of games with an injury as well. Yep. So it'd be interesting to see how they run offense differently with Corey out there, especially because there was a lot of times last year when they played Darren and Corey together and Corey played off the ball. So I'm assuming Tyreek will have a lot of the ball in his hands going forward with that second unit being the primary ball handler, even if he is, quote-unquote, playing the two or the three. So, uh, I mean, did we see anything that we should be concerned about from Collison or Corey Joseph or anything that stood out to you that you really liked about those uh, guys when they played a little bit in preseason? Yeah, Kojo was fine. He, I I like Kojo quite a bit just because I think you know he's a cog in everything in a good way uh, when he's in the game. He's not like dominant in any way at anything, but he's not bad at anything either, which is a nice player to have. Um, and he shot well. And he showed his normal shiftiness that I enjoy. Like he had a really sick layup in the first game where he he got the an offensive rebound and took one dribble away from the rim, like he was about to reset out behind the three point line, and immediately ripped around. Uh, I believe Michael Carter Williams and put in a layup, which I enjoyed. Uh, the injury sucks. I hope he gets better because he's actually more important than I think that people realize. But um, yeah, I like that he could be awful. I think that's going to happen a lot less this year, which sucks. Um, Collison not shooting well from three did not actually make a three pointer in preseason. Can you believe that? Um, oh boy. Yeah, scary, <laughs> because everyone's saying, oh, he's going to regress. I'm like, yes, he is, absolutely, 100% not going to shoot 47% again. At the same time, he shot over 40% like four years in a row now, so if he is not a good shooter at all, that's really discouraging. Um, but he played super aggressive in the Bulls game, like driving to the basket a lot, and he only took one of those mid-rangers pull-ups that I hate, hate, hate when he takes them. So um, I hope he cuts that shot out and just keeps driving to the basket. So the aggressive Collison I liked, the rest of the game's Collison, I was just kind of like, yeah. Uh, I, I I I can't tell. Like anecdotally, I want to feel like he just wants the ball in his hands more, and he's mad. Not mad. He's he's annoyed. I guess. No, that's not the right word either. It's that sounds like he, he he has disdain, but he doesn't. He is 
disappointed that Vic is getting more ball handling opportunities than him now. Um, but I, I think it'll be. I think when the season goes along, he'll be fine. It's just going to be a, diff, a kind of adapting role for him as he's less of a ball handler this year. But he was uh, not great in the preseason. Well, as as a team altogether, we have a lot of guys on contract years, and I guess that's kind of what's been brought up recently. Is this might be the biggest problem the Pacers have is all these guys trying to feed themselves and wanting to make money for themselves going forward knowing that they might not be here long term do you find that to be a like a problem or do you think that'll be a problem going into the season i don't personally feel that way i think they all genuinely like each other but if you're on the outside looking in or even if you're on the inside looking in do you find that as a problem that they're all on contract years and they might be trying to overdo it to try to make a resume for themselves I find it as a problem cap-wise, but not basketball-wise. Okay. Uh, you know, technically last year was like a contract year for Collison and Boyan to like get their option picked up. Right. Uh, Ty- Tyreek also had a contract year last year. Um, you know, so like a lot of – Kylo Quinn also had a contract year last year. You know, like a lot of the guys who once again have a contract year have it again. You know, two new guys are Joseph and Thad. So unless you uh, are going to tell me, which I'm not saying you, I mean you as in like the masses, are saying that like – Thaddeus Young and Corey Joseph are these super selfish guys. We're going to completely change the way they play because they're on an expiring contract, uh, which I would not believe at all. Then more power to you. But I don't think anyone's going to change at all. I think they're just going to try to you know, be as sharp as they can at the skills they're good at to try to get another contract. So I don't think it'll be a big deal at all. But I think next summer we're in for uh, an interesting one for sure with a lot of guys coming off the books. Isn't, isn't Turner in a contract year as well? Yes, yes, he is. I, I apologize for missing no, him there. I, no, uh, no, you're good. I just want um, to get your take on Turner and his contract here. What do you think with him going forward is the the key solution for him to getting that big payday? Um, playing really well with Sabonis, honestly. Uh, so they what, can say that. What if that fails? Because we kind of talked about this off air, and I told you I was doing another uh, podcast where I was talking with a guy about this. What are your takes on Turner and Sabonis if it does not work the way they They already they already work well in separation, so I don't think it's necessarily a problem if it doesn't work. I mean, unless one of their egos gets in the way and all of a sudden it becomes a problem that one of them's not getting the, the role they desire. But, I mean, because they work in separation, it, does, it doesn't really have to work together. But I think for the for the future of the organization, it would be the best if it did. Um, I want to believe in it. I really do because, you know, when they played together without Lance last year, they were a positive. I've, I've said that in a bajillion shows I've been on now because people I always ask about this question. Um, I really think it can work not nearly as good as, as the net rating without Lance last year, um, but I think it can work. So I, I want to – like I haven't really thought enough about what happens if it doesn't. Um, but I think if it doesn't, that, that that there'll be a lot of talk and thought about moving one of them just because in a league that is going smaller, going too big, that doesn't work. Um, you know, it doesn't seem like the right idea. So I don't know what to think about that. I really haven't put enough thought into it just because I kind of believe it is going to work. Um, so, we'll, so we'll see there. <laughs> yes, you know, I, I did forget that Turner was in a contract year, though. <laughs> hey, well, I mean, I do think they want it to work, but at the same time, you don't want to overpay for somebody that you're not a thousand percent sold on, and I kind of feel like that's what the Magic did with Aaron Gordon. Now the Pacers are in a lot of different position than Orlando. I get that, but with Miles Turner, I mean, my biggest thing is his trade value. I mean, if they're not if they're not impressed with him completely, and they're not where and he not he's not where they want him to be at, would you consider trading him? I mean, that's a that's a big question, and I think if you believe in Sabonis enough to take over at that starting five. What kind of piece would you get back for Turner? I mean, that's the big question mark, right? 
I think Turner's trade value is way overhyped too. Like, I don't want to trade him at all. I wouldn't, even if he doesn't have a great year, I wouldn't trade Turner. Um, but I, you know, guys going into the last year of, of their restricted deals aren't like super coveted. Even if you can keep them, you have to pay them the money they required to keep them. Like, it, it's not the greatest thing ever to have an expiring restricted free agent. Um, but yeah, it's a, like a, like a mid first rounder. I guess it's probably what it would be, but. I absolutely would not trade Turner, even if he is like quote unquote plateauing, as everyone is saying. Even though he completely changed roles from year two to year three, um, even if that happens again, like that's a fine player to keep around, even if it doesn't gel with another player on the team. Well, yeah, and I kind of just go back to the whole when Roy Hibbert was a free agent, how they let you know, I th- wasn't it Portland that signed him to a contract and we matched it? Uh, I believe, or they were going to offer him one. Maybe we offered him a different one, but. Do you think that it gets that far to where we let other teams offer him a, a contract and then we match it, or do you think they'll try to get something done before another team can get in there and give him more money than they want to pay him? Uh, yeah, I remember Portland ended up not signing Hibbert to an offer sheet that summer. That was a good time because um, they were convinced the Pacers would match four for 60 or something hilarious in retrospect. <laughs> uh, um, um, yeah, I think uh, they'll try to get it done before other teams because they can a make it more team friendly and b just it's goodwill with an agent to do it that way um and i think it just it benefits them to know what kind of deal he's going to get given that they have a lot of guys expiring and his cap holds probably lower than the amount of money he'll actually get mm-hmm. so i think it'll be forward thinking with him but then not actually sign him to it until like later in free agency just to get the order of events correct um but yeah it should be fascinating because I'm sure Turner's going to want to go out and get as much money as he can. So, you know, even do, do, the, the order of events not being in his favor kind of does hurt the Pacers next summer. But um, I'm not sure it's going to matter unless something very dramatic happens. Yeah. And yes, I do think other teams will try to sign him, though. Yeah, no, and I'm excited to see what they do and see what all comes out. I mean, what all plays out because Pacers are going to have a ton of money next year in free agency to go out and get some players, too. So I'm, I'm excited to see what happens. But. I can't believe that I made it all the way through the podcast. I didn't talk about Oladipo again. <laughs> but I think we kind of just, with Oladipo, I mean, people have to understand, like, the dude is just amazing. Like, so, some of the stuff that we saw in the first three preseason games that he was doing, I mean, this guy is going to be a serious problem. So I've got about five minutes left. you want to just kind of hit on Oladipo for a few minutes and just talk about <laughs> what exactly he has improved on than the offseason you know we made it to the end not talking about Vic because everything that can be said about Vic has been said it's crazy like it's it's not boring to talk about anymore but it's like I just feel like I'm rinsing and repeating the same conversations over and over which is so interesting but yeah he was awesome in the preseason and he shot better from three-point range and two-point range which wow if he becomes a an elite three-point shooter he would just be so hard to stop yeah, he was awesome. Um, I mean, he's he couldn't shoot for a lick in the Bulls game, which is a shame. But like, he had a few of those games last year where he just couldn't hit anything. Um, the other two games, he was just so unbelievably good that like he could carry the team to whatever height he wanted. So I was uh, just having a ball watching him. He got a steal every game. Uh, you know that his steals streak will never end. I think. I hope it does. Uh, <laughs> I know it's it's so great. Um, he's always smiling, which I, I I love that Kylo Quinn's always smiley. So I'm starting to love that Vic's always smiling. Like he's just such a joy to watch play basketball. And knowing that, you know, I I think the only people who say this like he could not be this good and might regress thing are people who like clearly just like 
don't understand his skill set. Like, like his sure his percentages went up, but that's not why he changed as a player last year. Like, I think he's almost a lock to be nearly the same player as last year, unless he gets hurt. So the preseason did nothing to change my mind of that, and that's all that really matters. Yeah. All right, man. Well, it has been a lot of fun talking about this Pacers team. I'm so excited for game number one next Wednesday versus the Memphis Grizzlies. And you know, another player that I forgot to talk about, Aaron Holiday. Uh, I liked what I saw from him too. Has some turnover issues. But definitely somebody that I think could be a contributor in the next couple of years. Uh, still got a lot to improve on. I know you weren't you weren't super high on him, were you in the draft? No, still I'm not. But yeah. he shot amazingly well, which is great. Yeah, his, he just shoots with so much confidence. I think he's a pretty solid defender. He's, you know, as a holiday, I think they're all pretty decent at, de- at defense. But, you know, he, he's going to have to get better at protecting the basketball. Way too high in turnovers. Uh, but that's just part of being a rookie. And so uh, I, I do appreciate, you know, you coming on and talking about all this stuff. And if there's anything else you want to throw out there before I let you go, feel free, man. Yeah, you got to get one uh, sentence in about the only player we didn't talk excited about. Boyan Bogdanovich continues to shoot well from three and uh, not be great at much else. So I loved watching him do all that too, and that's all I have to say. <laughs> yeah, sorry, everybody. There's so many people to talk about. This team is so deep now. It's fun. So It is. And it's probably the most depth we've had in a very, very long time. So, uh, Bojan, do you think he looked at all tired a little bit maybe from over? Croatia? it up. He played in Croatia last summer too, um, but he did look more tired than last year, so I don't know what to say. Uh, maybe he, he sat out when he was hurt, um, and now his, his energy is a little less, or his conditioning, excuse me, a little less. But you think that is what it is. will reduce his minutes? Uh, no, probably not. <laughs> you know, I was just uh, wondering, with, with McDermott and with Tyreek, you know, last year we didn't really have Glenn Robinson in the rotation, so with two backup wings that can play those minutes, I was just curious if you thought they might reduce some of his, you know, uh, regular season minutes to try to save his legs for the playoffs. Yeah, maybe. I mean, last year he played a lot, so maybe. Um, and McDermott would help, but I think McDermott's going to play more four than three, so TBD. That that will be fun to see. All right, man, I, I promise this time I'm really going to let you go. Thanks for hanging on and letting me recap some of these players that I forgot. And uh, where can everybody find you out on Twitter? Uh, T East NBA is my Twitter. I know, haha, NBA is in my name, but it's all I tweet about, so it is what it is. Um, but yeah, follow me for lots of way too quick clips from games and annoying Pacers takes. All right, man. Well, thanks again for coming on. We'll talk to you soon, Tony. Yep, thanks for having me, man. Alrighty, everybody, that wraps it up for another Setting the Pace episode, episode two. Once again, thanks to my man Tony East for jumping on and talking all things Pacers preseason. If you guys don't already, make sure you follow us on Twitter at Setting the Pace 3. And next week, we will definitely be doing a recap, uh, re- not a recap, but a preview of the Memphis Grizzlies game on Tuesday night. And we'll be answering any questions you have. So just send them our way. All right, everybody, see you later. <laughs>